Play it, play it, play it, play it. We are gay like a fruit. We are looking like a snack. You are listening to Fruit Snacks. Girl, how's the bidet? Um, she's like a soft, gentle massage on my butthole. Um, I'm so used to douching now that like the bidet is like nothing. That's know? like a that's like a Tuesday now for yep. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it feels nice to because I haven't been using baby wipes. Um, I just haven't bought them since the start of all of this. Um, so to have like the nice little rush of water. Work. It's cute. Hey guys, I'm Brian. I'm Shane. And you are listening to Fruit Snakes. quick backstory to what we're talking about i ordered a bidet for my toilet because i was like i don't want to have to shop for that much toilet paper considering this is like ongoing and on top of that a bidet is more eco-friendly because i guess to process toilet paper you actually like use more resources than just a little squirt of water up your Mm -hmm. butt long story short i got a bidet set it up improperly called the company thinking it was a faulty product it wasn't a faulty product it was a faulty user then i finally <laughs> set it up correctly but by that time they had already sent me another one and then i was like oh shit i have two for the price of one well actually two for the price of half because they gave me a half refund and then sent another one for my inconvenience but then i was like well shit now i feel bad but i threw the other bidet in my guest bathroom and now shane yeah Wait, so you don't use toilet paper anymore? You just use the bidet? I just um, use the bidet, and then when it's dripping, I just slam my bussy against the toilet mm. seat until all the water droplets come <laughs> off. And then I do a light fart to just go <laughs> and blow Ew. all the way. Wait, do you really not use toilet paper? No, I, I do. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. But I mean, like, it's way less. Like, before, I would have to wipe, like, three or four times. Yeah. Literally, this is disgusting, but we're going no, there. Um, I've had to wipe, like, three or four times. And right. then now I, I do a little squirt, squirt, and then I just pat, pat dry with like three ply, three little squares of toilet paper, and then we Gucci. Mm. Yeah, I um I used like one wipe of toilet paper, and then I did the bidet. And oh, I see, like, I, I do like bidet right after that shit hits the toilet. I don't know. I don't know. Try it. Okay. Yeah. you Try to use as little to- amount of toilet paper as you can, because literally it like shoots all the shit off your asshole. So. And then all you have to do is dry it. Mm. It's cute. All right. Enough about this dookie. Uh, moving on to real dookie in real life. I don't know if it's dookie, but we'll talk about it. Okay. Um, the, the topic I wanted to bring up was America's Next Top Model. Uh-huh. As we've been experiencing this quarantine time, people have been going back and watching old pastime favorite shows mm-hmm. um, just to kind of keep entertained throughout this um, stay-at-home order. Right. And America's Next Top Model has started getting a little bit of flack. They've had like 22 seasons Upwards to twenty. Are they still on? I don't know. Okay. Um, but I do know that they've had definitely they've definitely had seasons within the the recent decade. Oh. Um, new seasons that is, yeah. or cycles as they go by. Um, but I'm just gonna bring up a little bit of history as for people who don't know, America's Next Top Model is just a show that Tyra Banks puts on to find America's Next Top Model. Very self explanatory. Mm-hmm. They go through all these bogus um, challenges, whatever. It's like your quintessential reality TV. That when reality TV started to become a big thing. Right. And the problem and why we're talking about it, or I guess it might not even be a problem, but we'll see. Um, People are saying that America's Next Top Model did not age well. It's been on the air for uh, quite some time. And I think with a lot of shows, like people say that Friends didn't age very well. Mm -hmm. Um, What other shows didn't age very well? Uh, I mean, a lot. You can even argue that Things in Will and Grace didn't age well. For sure. But I think it all reflects what is currently going on. You right. know, I think things now in current television won't age well 10, 15 years down the line. Right. But I just wanted to give you backstories of like things that didn't age well. And uh-huh. then once we get all that information out of the way, we'll kind of talk about it and give okay. our insight. But I'm going to start. Um, this is not necessarily in cycle order, but we're going to just go there. Um, cycle five, there was a lesbian contestant named Ken Stoles. And she was talking to the judges and she was like, I want to be out like I'm gay and really proud of it, um, which she told Banks. Um, but Banks literally urged her to like tone it down. Her mm. game is down because she's like, this is what Blake Bank said in the in the yeah. deliberation is like I'm black and proud, but now I'm not like walking down the red carpet saying I'm black, I'm black. Mm. 
But nowadays, people are like, yeah, right. I'm gay, I'm black. Like, right. really inheriting their culture. I'm Asian, you know what I mean? Like, showcasing that there's a different right. different storyline. Um, then in Cycle 13, this one has been getting a lot of flack. Um, but in Cycle 13, the models were um, off in Hawaii because that's where they took them this season or this cycle. And it was the biracial photo shoot where it was the ha- the Hapa challenge. And Hapa meaning mix, so I would be Hapa. Okay. And I think it was in tie with, like, Obama being Hapa. But what she did was change everyone one's ethnicity based off of the ethnicity that they were so mm. like they were like ultimately doing blackface on a lot of these white models right. and vice versa so that was another thing that we could talk about um cycle 10 they did a homeless photo shoot where it was like glamorizing homelessness which is definitely not aging well now because a lot of people with this coronavirus can't afford to live right and so that is probably hitting home to a lot of people um two more things cycle four um, Kaylin, her friend just died. I remember all these fucking moments too. <laughs> her friend just died and there were seven models left in the competition and it was the seven deadly sins. And literally that morning she got a phone call that her, oh, her one of her really good friends died. And then this photo shoot was each model is supposed to represent a deadly sin and they had to get lowered into a coffin six Oof. feet under and do a pose, you know, in the coffin. Yeah. And this particular model was wrath because it was just like anger. And she was like crying and oh, like really emotionally like going through trauma and they were just like, well, it's going to make good TV. Right. And then the last thing cycle six winner, Danielle, who's actually my favorite model out of the entire franchise. I remember, but um, two things with this one, they were trying to change her gap. Because uh-huh. they said it wasn't marketable. And they also were trying to change her southern dialect because they were saying a yes. cover girl could never have that. Which, again, I could see kind of both ways. But now we're like embracing mm-hmm. all those differences because we are different. So Shane, choose whichever one you want to because we've got <laughs> plenty of examples. But there's plenty more on Twitter. Okay. Um, how do you feel about this whole... Okay, so I did see a little bit on this subject. Um, the first point that I want to make is... <sighs> As, as progressive and as liberal-minded as I identify as, I do just want to point out that looking back to all of these shows, which I feel like were once praised for being so, like, barrier-breaking, yeah. um, just point out the fact that, like, there was a time in history or there were times in history when, like, that's just how it was. Right. Right. Like everybody's like, well, that doesn't make it okay. Like just because men were, were sexually assaulting women and like, that's just what the time was. Does it make it okay? And like, I agree with that a hundred percent. But my point in bringing this up is like, again, this show was, was led and I believe eventually produced by Tyra Banks, like Mm -hmm. a black female, right? Like that's a huge deal. Um, so for people to go back and be like, well, this was wrong and this, yeah, it was fucking wrong, but all that we can do is like learn from those mistakes and move on. So I don't know the purpose of bringing up all of these points. Like, I don't know if it's to just point it out and be like, oh my God, look at what we were all missing this whole time. Mm -hmm. Or like maybe what we all weren't listening to, um, or recognizing, or if it's to like cancel America's next top model, but like, it's already part of history. We've already seen 3000 cycles of it. Like it just is what it is. So the the one thing that I did read up on was the blackface one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like blackface has hit quite a few uh, unexpected like figures in the public eye over the over the past few years. Um, like I remember when Justin Trudeau had a photo come out and I was like, not Justin. <laughs> um, and again, like not to okay any of this, but in this season, they were... They were putting on these different ethnicity um, uh, portraits in a way to make them beautiful. Right, like praise the differences. They were praising yeah. them. They were they it wasn't were exemplifying like, it what wasn't beauty like they were could look like. Painting it to make it a satire or make fun of right. any ethnicity. Yeah. Um, the girl with the the gap between her teeth, like she was still she was a woman of color, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They're not saying you can't be black in a model. I again, I'm not saying like they should have told her to close her gap up, but I'm saying like they're still not suppressing the biggest attributes that that I feel like we we look at now, like race and sexuality and things like that. The whole lesbianism thing, again, like I think that that was a fault on their part, but again, we learned from that. And eventually I believe they had like gay men on their show or bisexual, right. you know, whatever it is, we see so many of those identities now. It's just something that back then, I don't think we fought for as much. Um, but the blackface one hit me in particular because it was such the opposite of what we see blackface as now sure where like it was praised 
you know? Because typically what you what you see in blackface is like a, sat- uh, like a satirical a yeah. approach to being like, oh, I'm funny because I'm black when it's right. not necessarily that. But I feel like you're very on Tyra Banks' same wavelength when it mm-hmm. comes to looking about this because Tyra Banks actually ends um, the tweets with this. Not that it's ending, but yeah. uh, she she writes, been seeing the past about the insensitivity of some ANTM moments. And I agree with you. Looking back, those are some really off choices. Mm-hmm. So she's acknowledging that, but I think people are like, you need to apologize or la di da da which here's the thing with me. I get both sides of the coin, right? Sure. Do I agree what was going on now in hindsight? No. But when it was happening, I was like, yes, bitch, mm-hmm. you better go off. Yes, her, her friend just died and she's pulling through. You know, mm-hmm. she made it work. Like that's fighting through adversity or like, right. to me, I'm like, at the moment, I'm like, yeah, Danielle is very country. Mm-hmm. Her accent is going to hinder her if she's going to be a cover girl. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It almost makes it a satire of being like, hey, y'all, right. mascara, you know, or yeah. like um, the gap in the teeth. But now we realize that's what makes America beautiful mm-hmm. is that diversity. And I think that's where it would be a problem had it not changed its game right. coming into the new modern world. But like at the time, you're right. Like that was the thing. And I think just like our parents, Tyra was basing or giving her advice or basing her success model off of things she's experienced. And that really is all you can do is take what you understand as reality and try to pass it forward. And I think most, I'm assuming everything was every advice or every thing was given to these girls as a idea of this is what is going to help you. Right. Right. It's not like they were trying to like deter them. But with that said, a lot of the girls were like, no, I disagree. I want to represent a lot of the contestants, a lot of the contestants granted they did go home, but realistically, even the models who won, no one really ever came of being the next top model, you know, but regardless, I just feel like, well, none of them had famous moms. Well, true. (laughs) Like (laughs) all the supermodels now. (laughs) That's what it takes. But do you know what I mean? Like, well, and the other thing that I want to point out is recognition or, um, familiarity is what sort of, uh, Um, assimilates differences into the into mainstream culture and it was seeing these kinds of girls on shows like america's next top model that has brought us to the point we're at now right you know it was seeing cycle after cycle of like whether or not they wanted to talk about it lesbian girls and black girls and mixed girls and you know all these different perspectives of people that we saw in 22 cycles at least of america's next top model that now we're like oh my god look at how beautiful all of them were you know, but if that show never existed, all of those women would have never been seen by mm-hmm. by mainstream society. But not only that, like I feel like I followed every single cycle because mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's very uh, gay pop culture. Totally. But as it progressed, I felt like the show did praise the differences, you know, and I yeah. think even if it was out now that they wouldn't say like change your gap mm-hmm. or do those biracial blackface right, kinds right. of things or, you know, uh, glamorize homelessness mm-hmm. or any of that. So I think it is up to current times. And I don't think Tyra needs to put out an apology because I don't, yeah, just like someone being like, nigga, this nigga, that <laughs> when nigga was okay to be saying, mm-hmm. and then now it's not, you change. And as right. long as you're up to, up to the current rule book of societal, social interactions, I think it's okay. But you do need to acknowledge that wasn't okay. And she acknowledges that it wasn't okay. Right. And we move forward. Yeah. I mean, Tyra, we were all rooting for you <laughs> and we're still rooting for you. Um, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, please. Cool. So we actually have two, uh, just cause they're a little more quick this week. Um, I saw a news article on scrolling through Facebook um, that came up from Newsweek. Uh, and the title of the article says, Trump death clock in Times Square estimating fatalities caused by delays in COVID-19 response hits 48,000. Damn. So I was like, okay, wait, Trump death clock. Like those three words alone caught my attention. And uh, I, I, the photo that they use for this article is literally this like giant billboard screen in the middle of Times Square with uh 48,000 written on it and I was like wait what so I like looked into it um so last week this billboard went up and when we say billboard in Times Square everything's like electronic now so it's all in lights um but it went up last week by Peabody and Emmy award-winning filmmaker Eugene Jarecki who's known for a bunch of his uh 
um, documentaries mm-hmm. that he does. Um, so it displays the total number of U.S. deaths caused by COVID-19. And the tally ticks up based on a formula that 60% of COVID-19 deaths would not have happened if Trump had reacted just one week earlier than he did in terms of um, putting in, into place social distancing and school closures. Um, so he didn't start this until March 16th. And they're saying that if he had just started on March 9th, um, 60% of the deaths that have happened in the U.S. wouldn't have happened. Um, so this theory was actually first published in the in the New York Times by epidemiologists Britta and Nicholas Jewell. Um, the, the Newsweek article did denote that this formula could be seen as oversimplifying the complexity of the pandemic. For sure. I mean, with anything that's like that. Yeah. Um, and it could be seen as being politically motivated, which sure, but like get the fucker out of the white house. Um, and, uh, I just wanted to end it with a quote, um, by the Washington post. So Jarecki, the guy who like started all of this was quoted, um, saying, fuck, sorry, I had it. Oh, okay. Um, So Jarecki was quoted in the Washington Post saying, this would begin to honor those who lost their lives and in their memory demand more responsive and responsible leadership. So I feel like this has been one of the biggest arguments since all of this started was countries' responses to things like this, but especially in the U.S., knowing that Trump just a year ago had completely dismantled the pandemic response team. Um. And as late as January, like later in January, said, like, this isn't anything big. We don't need to worry about this. Fox News said the same thing. Um, and suddenly it's it's taken down world economies and, you know, life as we know it. Um, well, we just got extended till July, I think. For yeah, L.A. County. Orders. Yeah. L.A. County is now extended to stay-at-home orders. March till July. We've through not July much 31st. has changed, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because even now, like, I feel that Congress is so slow in responding to this. Yeah. Looking at the numbers of what other countries have done, statistically speaking, to pay out residents and citizens of their country has been two to three times as much as what the U.S. has paid out. Um, And I feel like that's why people are protesting is to get back to work or, you know, open salons or whatever. But um, I just feel like we would be in such a different position. I can't argue that if he had done something a week earlier. Sure, I'm sure it would have made a difference. But, like, I don't know that it would have saved 60% of the lives. Um, but I just feel like even now, after knowing how hard this has hit everybody, the response could be so much quicker and, and more well-intended. I have like so much to say about this. Um, I support it. Love it. Mm -hmm. Fucking put it on every fucking billboard in fucking America. So he wants to, he wants other cities and states to start putting the same billboard. For sure. So here's my thing. If you're going to protest, this is the kind of protest that I feel like is appropriate. Mm. You don't need to, because realistically what the protests that are happening that are more radical, like showing up to the Capitol building with guns, that to me is terrorism. Terrorism at its finest. Because one, when you're protesting, Going back to the salon, why do you need a gun to show mm-hmm. that? Do you get what I'm saying? Or whatever else, they're, they're personal. Not they're not that they're standing there to protest that they need to go to the salon. But right. do you get what I'm saying? Like the protest of like opening America. We get it. We're all on the same page. Not one of us wants America to be closed still. Right. So if you're going to protest something, get behind something that everyone can protest. Like the, the lack of action. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that like um, people are dying and there was no action to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is an appropriate way to protest because you are telling these are the facts. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Dispute it. Do you know what right. I mean? Like we're calling you to respond without having to show force or terror. Right. Because what, what the other people are doing is inciting this idea that if you don't give us what we want, I'm going to shoot you. Mm-hmm. But if you ask him that, it's like, no, that's not why we're here. But it's like, well, then why are you showing up with the gun? Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you're like literally trying to intimidate or bully someone into like making action. Mm-hmm. No. Two, um, I think that's the best way to do. Like I live my life in that way of like showing reality. Granted, would these number are these numbers accurate to show reality? We don't know because again, right. these are all hypotheticals. But to me, when you're when you're basing off of science and like statistics, there's it doesn't really fail us. Mm-hmm. So to show a protest in that manner, you're showing like this is reality. I'm not telling you to do anything. 
I think it's implied that I'm telling you to do something, but I'm not. Right. And if you don't like that image, you should do something. That's where I'm like, yes, show them a mirror of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then they need to decide. But I'm like, that's what we need to protest is this solution. Right. We need to protest a solution. But by just saying, oh, it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's better than what it is. And literally just giving lies. It like doesn't do anything but make us sit in this position even longer. And literally the facts show that us opening America is not a good idea, especially from specialists where it is their lifelong goal to like study health and Mm -hmm. wellness of civilizations. And they're saying and detracting, like don't open. And they're still like, you don't know. It's like, okay. Well, I mean, we've seen even up to this week, how much he deflects the responsibility of his response to COVID-19 in the way that he told the 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 Asian reporter at the White House this week to ask China, ask China I know. <laughs> like, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation because that became uh, a racial issue. a racial yeah. issue as well. But like, everything is diverted. Like, ask China, ask China what you're the fucking president of the United Literally. States, and your press is there to ask you questions about your response. We're asking no you. And then on top of that, he's trying to like spin a story about Obamagate and say uh, that, you know, he's... Wait, did you see that? Yeah, I did. But he's like <laughs> doing all this like illegal bullshit. And it's like, you're just trying to detract from the mess that you're making. But he didn't even give examples. Someone was like, sir, what are you referencing? And he was like, you know exactly what I'm referencing. Exactly. You know what, what Obama But that's what is. A, a fucking salesman would do. Do you know what totally. I mean? Like just deflect, deflect, deflect. Regardless, long story short, I support it. I will fucking love to see all these billboards going around because mm-hmm. I want to see the fact. They should make it like um, Instagram and Snapchat filters. For sure. Like the Trump death clock. <laughs> I hate that it's called the death clock. I know. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's so yeah, radical. But I, know. I, But hey, it incites some sort of emotion, which in that sense, that is very, very mm-hmm. effective. The only thing that sucks is like Times Square is empty. <laughs> but you're seeing no, it here I in know. California. I know. I'm with, just saying, like, do you know what I'm saying? Normally, there's like millions of people a day. Who cares? People will see it. People yeah. will absolutely see it. All right, guys. So we have a very special guest joining the snack pack today. It's like a somewhat special. Yeah, somewhat special. This little faggot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if faggot's appropriate. Can you call bisexuals faggots? Yeah, we're allowed to. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. True. When we're gay, all when all don't laugh. We can't we didn't introduce <laughs> okay. you yet, so you cannot be picked up on your mic. Um, but yeah, when you're gay, like all rules are thrown out the window. Is that how that goes? Uh, even like partially gay, like a little bit of gay. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so we want to introduce this faggot. Um, did you want to, what did I say? Stop laughing. We didn't introduce you yet. Go ahead, Shane. Take it away. Well, I don't, I don't even know how to introduce him. Like the way he spells his name, I can't pronounce it. Like. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Good luck writing that in the headline of this on Spotify. (laughs) Without further ado, welcome to the Snack Pack, AJ Montgomery. <laughs> what up, what How's it going, guys? Now you can talk. Yeah. How rude. Don't talk when you're not I literally just to. spit coffee. I'm <laughs> Good. Oh, he's, he's got his smart glasses on. His studies. I got my, I got my blue blockers. readers. You know, gotta be safe. <laughs> gotta protect them eyes. I've actually been really needing mine lately because the amount that I've been looking at my screen in quarantine compared to like normal oh, life yeah. is outrageous. And I've been getting yeah. really bad migraines. I actually was really skeptical when I bought them because I was like, oh, I don't even know if these are actually a thing. But I was actually really surprised at how much they actually help with that stuff. Yeah, it's true. It's Are you true. using a Disney mug? Uh, I am. <laughs> Cute. We have that mug. I got my wow. Uh, Hong Kong oh, Disney mug. Speaking of Disney, let's start at the beginning. Oh, um, if you want to explain to us, <laughs> how do we know each other? I have to explain it to you guys. Yeah, Great. why not? No, um, we uh, performed together at Disneyland, the OG. Um, for various shows, didn't we? I mean, there was quite a few that we performed together. At, yeah, and mm-hmm. that's. I mean. Ultimately, I mean, when you can't, you can't avoid, you know, terrible people all the time. So that's when we became friends. <laughs> Wait, AJ, were you in opening cast of Celebrate? Yeah, it was, what, was it Celebrate? Pixar? For, I don't oh, remember. Pixar? For me and you, AJ, it was Pixar. Um, we were jumping stilts right. together. But then mm. for you and Shane, it must have yeah. been Celebrate, it was, right? It was Celebrate because that was my first parade and I remember you were in it. But were you in opening cast of Celebrate? Yeah, I was one of those super standbys. 
Clearly, uh, they let anybody into that show. Yeah, see, I know <laughs> talent not Clearly. required. No, I was one of those super standbys at that like, test program that they had, where they were like, "Great, let's teach a handful of people to do a celebrate, and then a block. I mean, and then a Pixar play, and then another celebrate." And then, oh right, yeah. you would like travel between parts. Yeah, so I didn't have the break between shows. I would go and do Pixar play parade and only get paid right. You know, 50 cents more. $9 an hour? <laughs> yeah, 50 cents okay, more. Okay, humble brag. Wow, <laughs> humble brag. We get it. You're rich. Oh, You're 50 yeah, cents more than yeah. all of us. <laughs> I know, right? If anybody got rich working at Disney, it wasn't in the parade department. <laughs> so th- that was what? Back in 2010, 2011. Now we're cutting to 2020. What are you up to now? Well, AJ? I currently live in Vegas, and I am performing on one of the shows uh, that's in the Strip. Um, so uh, it keeps me busy, and I'm out here in the heat. Um, but just loving life. I literally, literally love my job every single day. Um, aside from the fact that I can't do it right now for obvious reasons. Do you want to explain what show that you're doing? Um, just yeah, sure. Now, yeah, just so the listeners know. Yeah, so I'm over (laughs) at Low Rev inside the Win. Um, it's basically a uh, a really large production of a circus type show. It's really, really cool. I've seen it twice, but I don't think I've ever. Well, not I don't think, but I know for sure I haven't ever seen you in it. I remember the first time I saw it, it was like when it first opened. So I would imagine that it's completely different now. Because didn't you say that you guys had like a refresh or like a new Yeah, we had upgrade? a huge refresh, um, I think in 2017, 2018. With that said, because um, you were saying you're performing how many shows a day we a week? Need, uh, two shows a night, five days a week. So 10 shows a week. Damn. 10 shows a week. Um, just to bring it up to current status, I would imagine that your life has changed drastically due to this coronavirus. Because I know that... Vegas yeah. is shut down. So what's happening now with the show that uh, all of this is we going We kind of had precursors, obviously, when things were happening um, in Vegas before the pandemic really, really kicked off. Um, and all of a sudden, hotel attendance is down in Vegas. Um, you know, tourism is down and everything like that for the couple of weeks. And they were like, well, this is, um, is going to be something serious. Um, and so <clears throat> they basically sat down with us and they were like, listen, like, I think we're going to try to close for two weeks. And then at the end of the two weeks, there it blew up into a full-fledged pandemic. And, you know, we've been really, really blessed in the sense that the win has been paying us um, for the time that we are actually off right now mm-hmm. just because they want to make sure that we're whole, which is super, super great and super, and super mm-hmm. cool. So, Well, especially for entertainment, I, I mean, your mayor has literally made Vegas a Petri dish of the U.S. in terms of, like, trying to open things back up. But, like... In, in terms of trying that out once once they're allowed to, I mean, how do you... Because they talk about that with Broadway as well, which is now extended... The close is now extended all the way through September. But, like, how do you seat people in a theater where you're typically elbow to elbow? I think it actually got extended even further for Broadway, honestly. I want to say... They just announced yesterday. It was just through September 6th. Oh, was it yesterday? Because yeah. I saw someone post... Brian actually post something. Yeah. And I don't know. I thought it was, like, December. September is what I saw yesterday, but uh, we can okay. put that in the fruit facts. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine it would be really difficult for you guys, not only in terms of uh, you know tourism in general, because the photos of Vegas right now are, are are like quite scary to say the least in terms of empty streets and going from masses of people. I mean, it's like Times Square. You go from masses of people on a daily basis to absolutely nobody, to like next to nothing, right? Right. Um, so I can't imagine what it what it will be like for you jumping back into any bit of Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, we were all a little shocked to see the interview with Anderson Cooper with our mayor. We are, Even the people in Vegas were like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, no offense, but yeah, your mayor was definitely digging herself a hole in that interview. Oh, my well, God. I know, and I just was like... You could see him going yeah, crazy. no, I know, just watching it all just completely de- deconstruct. But you go to this strip, and it's like... You know, it's 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 a really great experience to see at night because all the hotels have hotel rooms that are lit up in like the shape of like hearts and like um, love and oh, stay cool. strong. So it's really cool. Like city. Yeah. Spirit. So we have a really yeah. ever since, you know, we had that mass shooting, you know, a couple of years ago, like our city has just been really, right. really steadfast in community. And I would imagine like you expl- you saying that the strip is kind of dead, like Vegas is a social city yes. and this disease uh, impacts you socially so it's kind of crazy that like vegas is even trying to reopen because realistically like the appeal of vegas is the idea that you can be social go to bars yeah. go to clubs go to pool parties yeah. see yeah. shows go to dinner and so i can't really imagine vegas really being vegas like it used to be anytime soon especially with the current climate right. and i feel like 
you know, protesting for it to open is one thing, but it should be protests should be happening for like testing and pay. Um, pay just because I feel like that's really what's going to set the tone knowing who has a virus, what you're going to do with the people who have yeah. it and like set that standard forward. Because if you don't know what's going on, it's going to spread so much faster. Yeah, right. And it's like harder to get a handle on any of that when literally you yeah. don't know. Well, I think the thing is though too, is I think people are just protesting for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Like obviously everybody wants to Completely. get back to work, yeah. but it's like you just, we have to kind of adapt to what that process actually looks like in a tourism sense. You know what I mean? You know, this this kind of ties into what you do because you are a performer and you would be in front of people. But I saw, I read an interesting, I think it was just a meme actually the other day that was talking about how these people protesting aren't protesting to get back to work themselves. They're protesting to get other right. people back to work to serve yeah. them. So like they want like restaurants open and hair salons open and entertainment open. And it's like all of those things only impact people that would be benefiting them. Yeah. It's not impacting them Absolutely. directly. You know what I mean? And it's such this like supremacist mindset to be like well everybody should be open again just to give me the things that right. i want and it's it's more of like wants and not needs yeah. um it fits the the identity of being so american it's like we're bored and over it so like the pandemic's over like move on absolutely <laughs> moving forward the reason we wanted to bring you on to the podcast is because we feel like you have a really interesting story to tell and um, for the listeners, what makes AJ's story interesting is that he does perform in La Rev and continues to perform in La Rev. But you want to explain kind of what makes your storyline different than maybe the other people in your yeah, cast? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I don't know if I actually said it, but I just I'm really happy to be on this podcast with you guys. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> um, so thank you for having me. For sure. It's nice to be Likewise. able to catch up with you guys and like you know whether whatever facet it is. But um, so the thing that makes me very different. Um, is I am actually um, an adaptive athlete. So I actually perform in this show um, with a prosthetic leg. So five years ago. Uh, you brag all the time, AJ. Well, I know, humble <laughs> brag. Toot, toot. Like, <laughs> an adapted athlete. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean. No, that's actually a cool yeah, term. Well, and that's the thing is that like I've learned about that kind of culture and that kind of um, diversity is the fact that like, yeah, I am an amputee, but at the same time, like we are a part of an entire adaptive athlete community, you know? So that's literally what we mm -hmm. do no matter what sport it is like it's a part of being an adaptive athlete um real quick before we continue though um just so that we're on the same page if we were to refer to you is adaptive athlete like the preferred noun like, I guess? as opposed to yeah. like amputee. an amputee yeah no you can call me an amputee like it is just see the thing about being an amputee is that it, it applies to everybody that's missing any kind of you know, appendage, limb, etc. So, you know, being missing a big toe, you're still an amputee. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and even though you're still considered an adaptive athlete, an adaptive athlete is kind of like what you do with that disability mm. or a disabled athlete. It's not like, you know, you get politically hurt if someone calls you an amputee. Like there is no wrong term for it. Um, other, you know, I mean, I even joke about it all the time. I mean, that I am extremely crippled and I need all the help that I can get um, to do everyday tasks, but I literally say that in jest. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I don't think there's a wrong way of handling it. And so I spent two and a half weeks in the hospital, um, three surgeries to try to save my foot. And then at the end of the third surgery, they're kind of like, listen, like we could do this for the next five, six years. You probably have 10 to 12 surgeries. Um, you best case scenario, you'd probably have a foot that's completely fused together um, and would give you pain every day for the rest of your life. You'd probably need a cane to walk. And uh, they're like, or we could amputate. And so it probably took me about eight seconds before I was like, great, let's get rid of it. You know, it wasn't really a, a decision that was like really pledging me because I knew that no matter what my outcome was going to be, I would rather have that than to be, you know, a foot that's completely fused together, giving me pain every day. Um, obviously my fourth surgery, I had, um, the amputation. Um, okay. You said you had four or five surgeries. Yeah. So I had four total. So I had three to kind of save my leg and then I had a fourth to actually amputate. Okay. And the whole time that these surgeries are, and are going on and you're in the hospital, Larev has no idea that this yeah, happened. No, they had no idea. And that was what I actually learned later is that they, they literally were clueless as to what had actually happened, um, with me after the, after the audition, the casting director had reached out to me like a month after my amputation surgery. And she just was like, I honestly don't know where to begin. Um, because I was, your headshot was literally on my desk to be, 
to give you a call to let you know that we were offering you a contract. Um, but before I called you, my assistant stepped in and was like, have you heard about AJ? And then I pulled up your Facebook and I had seen what had happened to you. And she's like, I honestly don't even know where to begin. Um, are you okay? You know? And we had kind of developed a little bit of a friendship and a relationship, but she just was like, I don't even know like wow. what you say in a time like this. Yeah. But I had actually set up myself saying that I was going to take two weeks mm -hmm. to feel however I needed to feel about it. And then I was going to move on and just go on with my life. I was actually in Vegas um, shortly after that for a friend of mine. Um, and so we had actually gotten tickets to see Larev. She had found out that I was coming to see the show and she called me really upset and was like, I can't believe that you wouldn't call me. And I was like, I, ah, you know, it just, I'm going to let you do your thing. And so she ended up, it was like, oh, can I give you a backstage tour then? And so I, you know, looked at my group of friends and I was like, yeah, we're totally interested in doing a backstage tour. And then she proceeded to give us an entire tour of everything like that. But then she ended up, the last thing we saw was the rehearsal room and the rehearsal space that they rehearse in. And so she went to open the door and before she opened the door, she looked at me and at this time, I had I didn't have a leg yet. Um, I was on crutches, and I was like, you know, I always hated the the whole like pant leg without a like a foot thing, the dangling pant leg. Like I just don't like it. It's not necessarily my thing. So I tried to put like a cute argyle sock on that leg, and like she was trying to make herself a little more presentable, <laughs> <laughs> right? She was just trying to make sure that uh, she looked good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so then she opened the door and the entire Larev cast is sitting there in the rehearsal room, basically just waiting for me to be just to walk in that room. And so I was completely overwhelmed. She looked at me and she's like, I just want to let you know in front of everybody that we talked to the people that we needed to talk to and everybody's on board. But as soon as you can do what you did in your audition, you have a job here at the show. It was such a powerful moment and it took about 10 seconds for me to realize what she said. And I started crying wow. and then she started crying. The and then I had people in the cast coming up to me and they were like, welcome to the show. We can't wait to work with you. Um, we're super excited to have you here. And I just was like, it was mm. so overwhelming. But the cool thing about that moment was that that was the fire that like I needed where I was like, okay, I have a goal now. Yeah, I don't know motivation. if that goal is actually attainable, but like I have something to work towards. That's definitely like a gift from the universe because realistically it's like, at that point, I would imagine that you lose a lot of motivation yeah. and that really like gives you motivation to keep pushing. Yeah. Well, the cool great. thing is, is that it's literally a smoke signal of like what you need to be doing with your life. I, I just wanted to put into perspective really quickly. So eight months of time between what was it between you getting your leg and re-auditioning? Yeah, right? so it was eight months from the time that I took my first steps walking to the time that I was re-auditioning for the show. Okay. I remember visiting you in the hospital and I and I'm just saying all of this to kind of put into perspective yes. for people listening, like how short of a of a time that is, given your situation. I remember seeing you, and like within the two weeks that you were in the hospital, you had lost like half your body weight. Mm -hmm. Like you were so thin and drawn out, and you had. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're bigger now than you've ever yeah. been before, but you had a good amount of muscle, um, and body weight to you before getting into the hospital. So to work as hard as you did in just eight months' time is it is like a testament to your motivation yeah. and self-drive to do things that you couldn't even do before. Yeah, your thank accident. you. I really appreciate that. You know, so before I got into my accident, I was like 168 pounds. And then when I was in the hospital, I was in the ICU for like five days. I was down. I think when I left the hospital after the amputation, I was like down to 150, 151. Just a quick overview, and then you can go into detail. Larev is like a water acrobatic show, which requires like ground movement as well as underwater movement. Um, as well as aerial stuff and diving and flipping. I would imagine that that would be difficult on two legs, let alone one. Did you want to go into detail about what that looks like um, from like going from on the ground to in water to diving to aerial, all yeah, that stuff? Well, so the fun thing about this is that there's a set of challenges that you have to meet. But the unfun part about it is that you have to go to somebody. Like I have a prosthetist, which is the person that actually makes my prosthetic legs. Um, you got I a prostitute? I got a prostitute. Yeah. Um, not prostitute. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So I go to somebody and I had to walk up to them for the very first time and I had to be like, listen, I need a prosthetic that is going to allow me to jump, swim, do aerial stuff, um, do all of the things in one leg. Now, granted, over time, mm -hmm. we've kind of discovered that I have several legs to do that. So 
Um, I have four different legs that I wear for the show. Um, oh, wow. Okay, humble brag. Is, we get it. <laughs> yeah. So the hard part about it is that, like, you know, when I have a job that requires me to have these things, and I have companies that allow me to have legs to do these things, you know, I always have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt, just because of the fact that, like, there are people who struggle to get one leg, and I have mm-hmm. four that I wear just for the show. So I understand the luxury that it is, um, and I'm so thankful for that kind of stuff to actually happen. Um, Come through, white privilege. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> is the fit of the prosthetic attached in a way that you can't change out just the fit and not the prosthetic like it's all one piece so you can change out feet um and to be honest it's quite a blessing for that to happen not not feet the fit sorry the the fit fit. like the the part that you would affix to your actual body is that possible to change out or that's just like completely attached in a way that like it either fit or fits or yeah so it's made of carbon fiber um there are things that can actually there can things that can kind of make it so that these things kind of fit a little bit better, but in all retrospect, it's it's custom shaped to you. Okay. And while you're in the show and you're using these different legs in each show, um, when it comes time to replace them, is that something that your own insurance is covering? Is the show covering it? How does that that so that was one work. of the stipulations of my contract specifically was that they were like, We will provide you the job, but you have to provide the prosthetics. Got it. Yeah. And what happens what happens like if this breaks in the middle of a show and you you find yourself like with a broken yeah. foot, you know, like how do you get off stage to, to replace I mean what is that? Just look like, like any parade that we've done or any show has a contingency. Like uh-huh. our show is full of contingencies. And so okay. it all depends on where it breaks, what part of the show, what we're doing in that show, what's happening. The cool thing about the show is that I've been doing it for so long now that it really only breaks if it breaks, um, and it, like I said, this is a rare occurrence if it does, but sure. um, if it does, it typically only happens in the same spot. And that's towards the end of an act that we call Red Man. Um, and it's just the amount of force for one of the tricks that we do is just, it, it's it's a lot. And it's almost too much for the carbon. And so a lot of times mm. it snaps and it literally will break. Now, the cool thing about these is that they will never completely fail. So it's not like my foot goes flying into the audience or anything. Right. But it all of a sudden just becomes now this really soft, soft spring. And it's like, it cracks so loud that even now all of the performers... Um, on stage and the sound guys actually know when my foot breaks because it's Mm. so loud that you can literally hear the crack. Um, But I basically just have to kind of continue the choreography um, based on like with basically only one foot. I I know you've mentioned briefly about the obstacles that you've had to overcome, um, especially in that two week time frame that you gave yourself to kind of get over the fact I would imagine that that would take a lot longer than two weeks for you to kind of feel comfortable in this new lifestyle. Do you want to touch base or go into depth about how um, this journey has been mentally for you? Well, here's the thing. No matter what happens, no matter what facade we're all putting on that day, the truth of the matter is, is that there are days where we all have off days. And that thing is, is that I've had people come up to me and talk to me, like start telling me about their bad day and then look at me and go, oh yeah, but I bet it's nothing compared to like what you go through. Um, And to be honest, like it's all relative, like everybody's problems are all relative. And I am one of those people, I know in a podcast a while, a long, long time ago, you were talking about having friends that are like medicine cabinets, right? Mm -hmm. And how there are people that, you know, um, you call those people when you want to be, you know, your problem solved and you call people like when, you know, you just want to sit and wallow in the issue a little bit. And if you're on fire, I'm that friend that you call to be put out. So I have a way of thinking about a lot of different things, and I'm always a problem solver. So no matter what situation's in front of me, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm going to try to solve it. So when I was facing amputation, it literally took me eight seconds to realize that I wanted to amputate, mainly because of the fact that I was like, listen, this foot is no longer helping me. It is no longer going to be a good um, addition to my life. And at the end of the day, it's a foot. It's not my heart. It's not my brain. It's not my lungs. You know what I mean? So- if I was going to do this, I was going to do it full heartedly, fully committed, and I was going to go into it. And that was the thing. I mean, was two weeks long enough? I actually don't think I took the full two weeks. I know it sounds really kind of stupid, but like I literally was like looking down at my leg and I was like, it's never coming back. Nothing right. I'm doing is going to be able to bring it back. So why am I spending more time thinking about how the past could be differently instead of just realizing that this is a situation now. So all we can do is handle what's right in front of us. I feel like it's funny to hear you explain your uh, mental state that way, because I feel like 
we're very similar in that mindset of being like, okay, with the current cards that were dealt, we have to make a decision. And a lot of the times, especially when you're pushed to that flight or fight mentality, you're like, okay, I have to fight, you yeah. know? But I would, I would imagine that that is still a very difficult, you know, decision to make. Not trying to put words in your mouth, but I get that you're saying that, like, um, it was, like, a quick, easy decision. Not easy, but a quick decision. You don't want to, like, cry over spilt milk. Let's push on, push on, push on. But I would imagine that there might be still, like... Breakdowns. A bre- yeah, breakdowns or yeah. Um, well, challenges ironically. where you're like, wow, I got to catch myself. Yeah, ironically, I didn't really have, like, a breakdown for... A while. I think it was because I was so focused on my goal that I never actually looked at my current situation in that sense. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you got a goal, you're like, okay, yes, this is the situation, but I always got to get to there. I got to get to point B. I got to get to point B. But instead of taking a look around and where you're sitting in point A, and I don't think that actually happened until I was actually in the show. Um, where I was sitting there and I was having a bad leg day and there's a part in the choreography where we sit back and we watch the solo that's happening on stage. So we stand up there and we're watching Mm -hmm. and it's like, I literally a lot of times have to give myself a reality check because I'm performing with some of the best athletes in the world. Like some of the most ship shape mm-hmm, athletes right. in the world. And yes, there's always a part of you that's like, I am here and I am fitting in and I'm doing this just the same as everybody else. But there's also a, a side of it that people don't necessarily talk about where they're like, you are looking at people, which is a reflection of who you used to be. Right. And I think that was kind of like the moment is that it's like, you know, I'm having a really off day and I'm looking at these people who are executing this choreography perfectly. And it's just like, I was, I'm never going to be that performer again. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm able to keep up with these guys and I'm able to do all of the things that they do, um, at some respect, I have to always accept that there are going to be challenges that people never understand. Exactly. That's probably the more important lesson. It's like, it's not that you won't ever be those performers, you know, like, it's not like you can't get to that level, but you're just going to have 101 more obstacles to overcome in order to get to that level. Yeah. And I think it actually gets to be really, really difficult as well, because just the same as I didn't necessarily know anybody that was an amputee um, when I became one, I think a lot of people, especially in my show, don't necessarily have or know people that are amputees as well. So to them, right. I am the basement. I'm the base marker of what it's like to be an amputee. I feel bad for any other amputee that they might come across <laughs> in the future. <laughs> They're going to be like, you can't backflip. Right. But <laughs> are you really even an amputee? Right. <laughs> are you really? Are you really disabled? You know, but I mean, that's the thing. You're like, wow, okay, you're lazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that's what I mean is that it's like, I am their normal. You know, so a lot of times even they right. don't necessarily think about the fact that like I am constantly having to think about a million, like 300 things in this choreography just so that I am on so I look the same as they do. You know what I mean? Um, right. Like, and it, it's weird too, because I mean, I got to deal with things like phantom limb, you know, or phantom pains, which are so, so weird to mm. me because basically you're, I don't know if you guys know much about it, but basically like you. Um, explain it for the listeners regardless. <laughs> okay. So basically phantom pain and phantom limb is basically like when it feels like your limb is still there. So basically with my accident, all of the nerve endings in my foot are still there. They've just tucked them. They just rolled them up and tucked them into my calf. And so, um, and so even today it's still always, which actually let's, let's pause there too. Cause I don't know if we ever clarified, um, which portion of your leg. Right. So I am a below knee, um, amputee on the left side. So, and I've got, and I'm actually amputated about mid shin. Um, for, you know, it's not like I'm just below the knee, like I'm about mid shin. So, um, okay. it's about six and a half pounds of, of foot that they cut off cause I had them weigh it, but it, so it still always feels like my foot is still there. Like I can still sure. wiggle my toes. Like I can still like point and flex my foot, like, and my brain doesn't register the difference. But mm. the thing is, is that every once in a while you have like phantom pains and phantom pains is like your body's way of kind of checking to make sure that your foot is still there. Like my brain knows something is up, but it doesn't know what's up. So it keeps like firing nerves just to make sure that like, okay, are we still doing this? I know. I can't even imagine what that would feel like knowing that the pain you feel is, is in an area of your body that's no longer existing. Yeah. Well, and the hard part too is like when it itches, like so like that when the arch of my foot is like itching, like how do you scratch that? You know right. what I mean? Because it's like you like right. mentally can't scratch it. And so it's 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 always kind of weird, you know. I can kind of mas- massage like the balls of nerves that are in my calf, which are like nerve pockets, um, and kind of like see if I can get it that way. But they're, like I said, they're in my calf, so they're inside my prosthesis. So the only way I can get to them in the first place is if I take my leg off, which obviously is mm-hmm. not happening in show. 
is that a very intimate moment for you to like take off your prosthetic yeah uh in front of somebody yeah new? to be honest um when i have been dating as an amputee it's it is quite the adjustment it really is um just because of the fact that like you just don't know how some people handle it you know um Right. A lot of times in the digital world now we're all dating on Tinder and all these dating apps and such. And so it's like I've connected with people on Tinder and I always try to make it a thing. Like in my profile, I'm always like adaptive athlete, um, you know, and I usually have um, a, a prosthetic picture. I mean, to me, you know, with my leg showing and stuff like that, just so that people know. And then, of course, it's quickly followed by the right. shirtless picture, um, you know, <laughs> just to kind of <laughs> recoup that. Um, but, uh, you know. It, it is always a little intimidating, especially like when I'm having sex with someone for the first time, um, because I'm always just kind of like, okay, like I always ask them, I'm like, is it okay if I take my leg off? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, cause I, you don't ever, you never really know. And to be honest, like the majority of people in the world, everybody that I've come in contact with has been like, oh yeah, no, you're an amputee. That's really awesome. But there have been a handful of people that ghost me as soon as I let them know these things, you Interesting. know? But honestly, those are not the kinds of people you no, need to be. No, absolutely not. I mean, so, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I've like, they're, so, they're like they're doing answering the favor. question. Yeah. yeah. They're answering the life questions that you need you know, to. I mean, I think some people kind of get really um, weirded out and antsy about that. Um, but it's nice to know that like a lot of, cause that's at the end of the day, like it's always weird. Like whenever I have these relationships with people, I actually check in with my partner and I'm always like, is it ever weird that like I'm an amputee? You know what I mean? Cause there's certain things that like I have yeah. to change and I have to do and you know, so that things are different. I mean, is it ever weird for you? And a lot of people, the majority of them are like, actually, I don't really know a difference. I think the thing is though, is that like, you just have to really be honest with yourself. And a lot of times people have a hard time with that right. kind of stuff and you have to fully accept who you are and you have to be okay with presenting it to other people. And that goes with any aspect of your life. You know what I mean? Like with anything that you're dealing with, like you always have a set of skills, a set of qualities that your partner either agrees with or they don't agree with. Um, and unfortunately right. too, I mean, it's always funny because being an amputee is not usually the thing that ends my relationships. You know what I mean? A lot of times that I have not found mm -hmm. anybody that is secure enough with the fact that I'm a bisexual individual that, um, mm -hmm. that is usually what ends up killing the relationship. Um, not the fact that I'm actually disabled, which is actually interesting because I feel like on the other end, if you were a female who identified as bisexual, there's probably not as much of an issue. Cause it's almost like probably like, Ooh, that's sexy. Cause there's the potential of having a threesome. Right. But I feel like, um, when I hear men right. announce that they're bisexual, it seems like a lot more pressure or the stigma of like, Oh, you're just gay, but you're just like trying to, pro re re um proclaim yeah. your sexuality as a straight man when it's like that's not yeah the case. well and i think it's 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 really difficult to be i know it sounds stupid because you're like it's so difficult to be bisexual but to be honest like there's a lot of situations where it does make it difficult um you know i mean hanging out with you know you know, a lot of gay people, a lot of gay people just think that i'm just denying the fact that i'm gay you know and i'm prolonging the truth mm -hmm. um so I don't necessarily always fit in with those, but then the people who are, you know, quote unquote straight or heterosexual, like they're just like, oh yeah, no, you just, you've, you've explored that avenue. Yeah. I can't, I can't deal with that. Cause you're just gay. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's right, always right. this stigma that comes with it. And it's like, no, I've literally, I've just always been open with people in general. I've always been open. And the thing is, I'm never really one to like wear a big loud t-shirt that's like, oh my God, I'm bisexual. You know what I mean? But in the same respect, mm -hmm. I never deny who I am. I never deny my journey. And that goes along with anything, you know, whether being bisexual or whether being, you know, an amputee, it's like, I, it's taken me a long time to get to the understanding of who I am as an individual. And I never will deny that. Right. And I've never will deny the experiences that I've had. And to be honest, gender to me is no more different than hair color. You know what I mean? Like, and people are always associating it with like, oh, well, when you're with a, a girl, you must miss being with a guy. Or when you're with a guy, you must miss being with a girl. And to be honest, it's very much like if you're dating a blonde, do you miss being around a brunette? Like, no, it's just a quality that the person right. you're with has. Right. Um, and I just have become so fluid with kind of that type of um, experience that, yeah, I think I would definitely associate myself as like, no, I'm just with the person. You know what I mean? Right. And a lot of times like people sit there and they're like, oh, you just you just can't make up your mind. And I'm just like, no, I've made my mind up on you. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Out of eight billion people in the world, like you're the one. 
that I want to be with right now. Um, and I don't necessarily always believe in an open relationship. I'm too much of a jealous person to have something like that, you know? And mm -hmm. to be honest, I've never had this situation present itself, so I can't say it's not for me, but I just know that I'm a really jealous person. So, well, I feel like when people think bisexual, they think of the latter sexual and you're, it's all about sex when realistically it has little to do with sex as much as it is to do with connection just with either gender and it doesn't matter right no you. it really doesn't um yeah. you know we all have a set of set of qualities that make us who we are you know and gender is just another one of those yeah so to sort of wrap this podcast up i wanted to ask you what do you think is next for you what's your next plan c like what's your next goal that you want to get you know to? i don't i always wake up every day with the mindset that whatever you want in the world is always attainable. And it's like, I know it sounds kind of stupid, but I'm like, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do, what I want to do next, what's next for me. You know, I kind of, I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. And to be honest, I think performing is always going to be an aspect of my life, no matter where it is. But like, you know, you, you sit there and you're doing the show and you're working out and you're doing fitness and all that stuff. And then you're kind of like, okay, well, I want to try this for a little bit. And so like lately mm -hmm. I've been doing like sound engineering, music production, and kind of learning all about that kind of stuff. Um, cool. And that's been really, really fun for me. So that's kind of what I've been working on right now. Um, um, you know, okay. it's kind of creating that type of new avenue. Um, but I always still love performing. Here's the real question, though. When is your OnlyFans page going Get public? out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really funny? For a month. Literally, That's the real question. OnlyFans has been so popular among so many people now. It's like everybody on the Instagram story, since everyone's unemployed, everyone's like, oh, my God, check out my OnlyFans. I have bills to pay. <laughs> Which is funny because all you have to do is go on their Twitter and it's all there for free. Right. You know, I think, yeah, Twitter's such a bizarre <laughs> thing. But yeah, no, I do not. I do not. I I do not have an OnlyFans. We'll give it. We'll give it a week. So, we'll see what's up. There's nothing posted. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right, guys, so um, that kind of brings us to the end of our episode. At the end of every episode, AJ, I'm just going to explain it for you and the listeners. We go into this segment called In Season, which is something that we take interest in for the day, the week, the month, or the year. It could be something serious, like a mantra you live by, or it can be something so silly like your favorite type of ice cream, but whatever you feel like is your in season for this time in your life, we would love for you to share that for us. As you're thinking about that, um, I'll go first, Shane. Sure. Okay. So for me, um, my end season, I have two, but I'm going to go with this one. My end season is a new fascination with marijuana. <laughs> More like with obsession. Weed. It is an obsession. Here's the thing with me. Anytime I like find a new interest, I really dive deep. Full like, throttle. Full motherfucking <laughs> throttle. Full throttle. Um, <laughs> I've been watching so many documentaries. I've been watching so many YouTube videos about different ways to smoke marijuana. I've been learning about indica and sativa. I've been learning about so many things. And I am new to this drug culture. I've never had an interest <laughs> in it. So that's part of the reason why I have an interest is because it's so unfamiliar. Um, but now that I've been like researching it, like seeing the difference between a bong, a bubbler, edibles, a spoon. Which, to be honest, is weird like, for you, Brian. Huh? I said, which to be honest is weird for you. Cause I mean, I, I like, you know, obviously I've known you for a while and like to see this part of you, the side of you, I mean, the Brian doesn't like drink. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, like, I'm so straight laced. I'm like the <laughs> fucking Virgin Mary. Virgin, I don't think. <laughs> so just like, <laughs> but I've been like going the scientific approach to all of this. I've been watching a ton of documentaries. I've been watching so many things. So if anybody has any questions about marijuana, I am your expert. <laughs> <laughs> so that is my in season for the week. Marijuana is in season. <laughs> what about That's you, a good Shane? one for you. You're high right now. <laughs> stupid um <laughs> brian lit up right before this audition i mean right before this yeah <laughs> um mine is actually somebody uh who i happened to stumble across on facebook so a few years ago i got into vegan alternatives uh -huh. um where i was eating mostly vegan for a while but now i just sort of substitute in my substitute it in my life when i find um foods or alternatives that i like better than the originals um, so I was scrolling on Facebook watch one day and I ran across a woman by the name of Tabitha Brown uh -huh. and she's sort of like, uh, she's been identified as like a vegan influencer, if you will. 
Um, but she's really funny and she's easy to watch on camera. Um, I actually just found out the other day that she's in the new season of Will and Grace. Not as like a reoccurring character, but she pops up in an episode. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that's Tabitha. Um, she's a riot to watch and... I didn't realize I'm on her Instagram, which is I am Tabitha Brown, um, T-A-B-I-T-H-A. She's had write-ups in The Hollywood Reporter, Vogue, um, and Essence. And the uh, article that I saw about her in Essence uh, lists how vegan influencer Tabitha Brown became America's mom. And that's honestly like the best description I can think to describe her. Um, even if you're not a vegan, I highly recommend looking at her videos. She's a riot. She sits there and she like makes things from scratch and you watch every step of it, including her eating, which she always prays. And <laughs> whenever she makes a decision to do something, she's like, I'm going to do that because that's my business. And you can do it this way because that's your business. Um, but I just think she's like such a character and so fun to watch. So that's my end season. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I try to get cool. into vegan lifestyle. I lasted all of two weeks. Oh my god! I, I like vegan it. food, but the thing is, is that it's like I feel like I have to eat twenty four motherfucking seven yeah. to stay full. I agree, and I know there's it all kinds of what kind of vegan foods you're eating. So AJ, what's your in season for us this week? Uh, my in season, something actually came across uh, a few months ago. I know, ironically enough, is with the start of this pandemic. So I was actually in China when this stuff kind of kicked off in the middle of January. So. Um, when I had left and this was, I was on a solo trip and I was like, you know, I just gotten over a really bad relationship. Um, and I just was in a place where I was like, I need to go and I need to, I know it sounds stupid, but like, I need to go find myself. I have to go do things. I want to go be by myself. You have to have your eat, pray, love. Yes, (laughs) I did. So I basically took a trip to China and I went to like Shanghai and Beijing and, um, and then I spent four or five days in Bali um, before going back up. And it was all solo. So it was really cool to go see the Great Wall and do all of these things. And it was such a life-changing trip. And I think one of the things that made that trip amazing was that actually, Brian, you gave me the audio book. Um, and uh, it's a book called Buddhist Boot Camp. Such a good and book. So, and it's so it was so incredibly fitting for what I needed. And I actually didn't even touch it the entire time um, that I was on my trip. But on my way back, which getting back from China to America when all of this was really kicking off was so scary. I had four canceled flights. Oof. They kept jumping me around to different cities in China because they were trying to get me on a plane that actually was going to be accepted um, in the United States because the United States was like, no, we're not accepting any flights right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I finally like made it after I think a 36, 37 hour travel day. I finally was on a plane back to the United States and everyone was wearing a mask and it's dead quiet on the plane. I had to put headphones in because I was like, literally, it's just you hear all these people coughing and hacking and like oh. breathing heavy. And it's just like I was I was like, this is it. This is where I die. You know, <laughs> so um, I was on this plane and I was like, I need to start preening this book. Um, and so I opened up the book and, um, you know, by opened it, obviously, I mean, a figurative sense because. You know, it's on my phone. But um, but I, I, I pulled up this book and I started reading it. And it was like in all of this chaos that's happening around me right now with all this pandemic and everything like that, I was finding this amazing, amazing set of words that allowed me to help me get me past my relationship, help me to get through what I'm going through right now with this pandemic and, and kind of really put my mind mm-hmm. at ease. I am not a person who sits very well. I can't just sit and do nothing. Like my brain is so hyperactive. It's I can't even meditate because <laughs> it actually just irritates me because my brain is is so active. And so to be able to read this and to kind of really put a lot of life into perspective because of the fact that it allows you to get past all of the emotional baggage in little lessons. That's the cool thing about this book is that it's all each Basically, each chapter, so to speak, is like a page, a page and a half. So it's like you can take in as much as you want or as little as you want, and it's a quick read. It's Mm -hmm. super quick, but it literally changed my life. It changed the way that I think about everyday objects as well as the problems. Give us the name one more time. Buddhist Boot Camp. It's such a good book. Honestly, when I read it, it was gifted to me as well, but I give it to anyone and everyone who might need to like internally do some work yeah not saying that you did but i knew that you expressed that you wanted that trip to be that for you and i was like i have the perfect book because like you said it is very short very brief little passages and 
it's very written in a digestible way. Yeah. So you're not like in this metaphysical, what the fuck did they just say kind of reading. Yeah. It's very easy to get through. And yeah, every time I've recommended this book to someone, it's yeah. one of those things that's like a gift from the universe where it's like, oh my God, I needed to hear this at this moment. You know? Right. And that was a cool thing for me is yeah. I was like, it was a perfect place, perfect time, perfect scenario. And I believe there are very few books that I've read that have changed the way that I think about things. Was there anything else you wanted to end with, Shane? No. AJ? No, I think it's good. I mean, it's good to catch up with you guys and to talk about this kind of stuff and hopefully shed some light on on some adaptive uh, responsibilities. And, you know, it's it's, it's kind of cool to be able to talk about this thing in, in a different way. Yeah, and um, we just want to say we appreciate you being on the podcast with us because um, this is definitely a great uh, viewpoint in the world and we love to hear about different mm -hmm. life stories if you guys want to reach out if you have any questions for aj feel free to reach to us uh reach out to us on instagram at fruit snacks pod and you can also email us at fruit snacks pod at gmail.com um and if you guys want to give us the best gift if you like this episode this podcast or any previous episode please 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 subscribe review rate and share that would be amazing for us um was there anything else you wanted to add shane before we close out Nope. Uh, AJ, do you want to give them your Instagram handle? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, my, you can find me on Instagram um, at A-A-I-J-A-I. -A -I -I. You guys, go to his Instagram if you want to see some eye candy, oh my gosh. a full buffet, well, and then go to his OnlyFans at I AJ. Have, I don't have an OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> and if you come across an OnlyFans, it's fake. That's a lie. That's what mm -hmm. they all say until they get into porn. That's why they change their name. <laughs> No, and honestly, too, I mean, one of the things that I always like to promote in my Instagram is just obviously some inspiration stuff. But yeah, I mean, I like to be able to show that there that there's definitely a sexier side to being an amputee. I know a lot of us have different associations with it. So um, I tend to be a little bit on the sexier side. So For sure. If that offends you, I apologize. Well, you're <laughs> definitely the sexiest bisexual amputee we've had on our podcast. That's true. Oh, my. Am I the only one, though? No, we've no, had so no, no, many, no. but you've been the sexiest. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You guys are so kind. <laughs> <laughs> but as always thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you next week on fruit snacks goodbye bye all right guys so we only have two fruit facts this week to fact check throughout this episode the first one coming as the closure to broadway currently broadway is closed until september 6th of this year which i would imagine is going to extend but as it is currently shane was correct it is september which is september 6th and then the second fruit fact that we wanted to clarify was within the in-season portion of the show. AJ brought up a book, which I highly recommend, called Buddhist Boot Camp. But I believe we did not cite the author. And the, the book is called Buddhist Boot Camp. And the author who wrote it is Timber Hawkeye. It's quite a name. <laughs> Timber Hawkeye um, is the our author's name. And the book is called Buddhist Boot Camp. Please check that out. Honestly, it is such a good read. You can buy it and get an audio ver or um, a virtual version on your phone. So thank you guys so much for listening this week. And as always, we will catch you next week on Fruit Snacks.